All right, we're going to start off with a joke. Okay, it turns out there was a snail, and, uh, you know, he wants a little bit of uh, water. So he knocks on the door of this house, right? And uh, sure enough, this man opens the door, and he looks around. He doesn't see anything. He doesn't see a person. And he, he, he looks down, and what does he see? He sees a snail, and he goes, ah, stupid snail. And he grabs the snail, and he whips it across the street, and then closes the door. Okay? Now, <clears throat> 20 years passes by, and during that time period, uh, you know, the, the, the man, you know, he gets married, he gets promoted, he has uh, children of his own, uh, his children then become a bar mitzvah, and, uh, you know, more and more things happen in their lives, and then they get divorced, and then there's custody, but there's issue, but he stays in his house, and he makes some improvements to his house, and then <clears throat> he hears another knock on the door. And the man opens the, the door, and the snail looks up at him and says, hey, what was that all about? <laughs> okay, so 20 years has passed, right? <laughs> so it took him that long to get to the street. That's the joke. Now, here, here's the point. Why, why do I think this is so emblematic? Why do I bring this up? In so many ways, liberal policies are exactly like that, aren't they? It takes so long to, to understand the consequences of such things that they, they forget what happened so long ago. For example, affirmative action, right? Uh, it was invented, uh, created in 1964, more or less, right? It was supposed to last four years, and here we are, more than 50 years later, still talking about it as, as though it's an entrenched thing. In other words, hey, what was that all about, right? What's, what's it, why are we doing this in the first place? What happened? You know, no one looks back at all this time that has passed and ask the question, why? Same thing with Social Security. Same thing with the breakdown of the, the black family. Same thing with um, so, um, welfare, of course. Same thing minimum with wage. minimum wage. Uh, these, these things that become entrenched over time, and we never look back and understand, uh, know, know the time as it was before and why it was prompted in the first place. Oh, the income tax, you know, a temporary oh, thing to pay for a war. That's right. In the Civil War in particular, right? I think it was like 1%. It was a temporary tax. Everything was, yeah. what's the expression? There's no, no thing more permanent than a temporary, temporary tax yeah. Yeah, or temporary regulation. Fact, the fact I raised that uh, just now with you because there's a Prop 55 on the ballot here in California. Mm -hmm. And what they say is it's not a tax increase. It just keeps in place the taxes we already have. But the taxes we already have were passed as a only temporary tax right. five years ago for an emergency. <laughs> right. So now let's go back to the jokes just for fun. Um, let's look at the mind perspectives of both the man and the snail, right? The snail is still wounded by the, the grave insult of being thrown across the street. He has no idea why it, was, why it happened. And for him, it's still burning within him for the 20 years that he crosses the street, you know, goes back and crosses the street. For the man, you know, everything has passed and life has, has continued on. He doesn't have that institutional memory of what he's done in the past. And it's the same thing. And I take it the man who brutally treated the snail horribly in a temporary incident is the uh, Democrat. Yes. And the snail <laughs> reeling from the Democrats' temporary policy uh, of destruction. Right has been suffering for, with it for 20 years, comes back and says, what was that all about? Why do we still have this? Right. And, and it's exactly so. I mean, think of it. Every time you see a uh, presidential election, as we now have, right, we, we see that the, 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 the president or the, the Democratic nominee always saying the same thing. We're for the little guy. 
we're for making sure that there's no more racism. We're for <clears throat> improving immigration. We're for, you know, making sure, sure that the, the rich pay their fair share. It's the constant refrain that never changes. It has never changed, right? And, and not only do they have no, do we have no institutional memory of what it was like before this nonsense, but even uh, the, the, new, the, the new cycle of election, they forget themselves what it was like. I mean, Hillary Clinton is a great example. Whether she wins or loses, and we'll talk a little bit about predictions and such, whether she wins or loses in this election, what I find breathtaking is that <laughs> she's talking about how she's for the little guy, how she's going to make things better, how th she, you know, she's going to fight against racism and such, and, um, and beat back ISIS and do things just fantastically. And the big 800-pound gorilla is... <laughs> Hasn't your party been in charge for the past eight years, right? And it, 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 no, one, no one bothers to actually, uh, you know, call her out on this. Uh, it's even, even her own voter base forgets that, that that's her own party. And not only her own party that was in charge, she doesn't even differentiate herself from the Obama administration. Well, they call it the next four years of the Obama administration. Exactly. So she, Continue the legacy. So, so if, if, it's, if you're going to do such great things, well, why, why don't you say that, that Obama has done such great things? I never got that. I, I thought that one of the best questions that Trump or any Republican nominee could have challenged her on was to say, is, is there anything that you think that the Obama administration has failed at? Right? That's just one, one basic question. Uh, anything that you could have done better? I suppose what she would have said is, well, that's because the Republicans have always stymied us in every respect and at every turn and such like that. But you can't win that argument because if that's the case, then, then why wouldn't they stymie you at this point as well? So you, can't, you can only blame the opposition party so much. That's what Obama does, and, and he does it well. But the reality is, if you haven't done anything in eight years, in fact, if you've made things worse in these past eight years, then why should we trust you with these next four or eight years, right? All right. So it's uh, this institutional memory issue. It's, it's really fascinating. They are like the man that totally forgot about what he's done 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And did you see the Bill Clinton speech exactly in this vein about how terrible Obamacare is? Yes. Yes, I did. I mean, that, it's that it's was a crazy. Example that was crazy. Of that. It's like, and and it puts you as a voter, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, when you watch it, it puts you in in almost a a mental warp. Yeah. Because you ask yourself, is this real? Oh, it's so true. It's, you know, and by, by the way, in fairness to Bill Clinton and the Democrats, what they'll say is, no, you're taking it out of context. And uh, what he meant to say, hey, it's, you know, this is just, it's really unfortunate. You know, the craziest thing, premiums are going up and such like that. And we've got to fix this. And that's because the, the, the Republicans are, are, you know, stymieing us again. Okay. So that's what they'll say. Of course, it's not a good argument because once again, it, you should have anticipated this. If the Republicans are stymieing it, well, then obviously there's something flawed in your Obamacare in the first place. He's simply reporting the news, right? The premiums are going up. Uh, care is less. Access is less. Other than that, it's fantastic, right? Um, so uh, he, so, so we, we rightfully glom onto his words, it's the craziest thing. And he says, okay, there's a poor choice of words. I should have said it's, it's unfortunate and we need to fight this. I got it. But it doesn't matter. The fact is he's, he's correctly reporting how much of a failure Obamacare is, crazy or not. He's acknowledging that it's not working. That's the point. And nobody cares about that. Now it's already so, I wouldn't say it's so much in the mother's milk, this Obamacare business, but it has been around for, t for six years. 
more than six years now. And so people are now kind of entrenched in it, and it's part of their lives, and they can't imagine a world without Obamacare. And if you do kind of erase Obamacare now, though, well, then what happens to all those people who have had the insurance premiums and such? Okay, I'll tell you what happens. The same friggin' thing, the, the, the same friggin' shock to the system that we had when Obamacare was installed in the first place. Okay, we'll have another shock. But it'll be better. You know, just because, you know, you, you've gotten used to the cigarettes, you know, and you're smoking it all the time, doesn't mean that, that it's good to keep on smoking the cigarettes. And it doesn't mean the shock of withdrawal for those month or two when you quit smoking isn't actually healthy for you. That's right. Remember the Brexit panic right yeah, after the Brexit right. vote? And it was like, the sky shall fall and fall permanently. It was just a little hiccup because the market met a little bit of uncertainty for a couple of days while people were emotional. That's all it was. Smoothed out. That's exactly right. No, of course. And it's the sky's falling is always their, their next approach. And then, of course, they forget that, of course, that they, they, that they predicted these horrible uh, parade of what we call in law the parade of horribles, that ter- terrible things would, you know, you, you see this parade and all these people walking around and they're so horrible, right? So the parade of horribles will happen. Uh, but, but the same thing happened. I mean, I, it's part of the reason why I really I, I changed my party affiliation. From, I don't think I actually was a formal Democrat, but I had voted, as I said before, in a couple of elections in 96 and 2000 for the Democrats. Um, but part of the reason why I officially registered as a Republican is because I remembered. I was not like that man. I, I remembered what happened in the past. And I, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like when they, they, these, they trounced, sorry, they threw out these parade of horribles. So, for example, when, when George Bush... Uh, became elected, you know, and just before he became elected, they said, oh, you're going to have back alley abortions uh, and, and terrible things will happen and, and, and people will be on welfare on the streets and, oh, my gosh, it's just going to be awful. And then you noticed when there weren't and you remembered? Yeah, I yeah. remember that. And, uh, you know, there are many other examples like that. When Clinton uh, and, and Clinton as president, Bill Clinton as president, uh, was fighting the welfare reform that Newt Gingrich and others were advancing, they, uh, Bill Clinton himself said, we are going to have homeless people in the street. I will fight this tooth and nail. And then, of course, when he realized he, he would have been overridden if he didn't pass this, he, of course, signed the bill into law. And then he got in front of that parade, as it were, and said, hey, yeah, look, it's one of my greatest successes. He yeah. owned, he owned that, the very thing that he was railing against the right, most. Right. We're the new Democrat right. Party. We're the, we're yeah. the, this is the third way. Right, See right. how great I am? The, the era of big government is over, yeah. right? So, you know, God bless him for, uh, you know, just playing the game a little bit because that inured to our benefit as, as conservatives. But nevertheless, he was a true politician in that, in that moment. But, you know, I never forgot the, the sky is falling attitude that the Democrats have always advanced whenever they, they, they were fighting something. That's the way they fight. They say, if you, if you go forward with Proposition 8, if you go forward with uh, you know, voting for Bush and, and, or, or nominating that particular Supreme Court uh, nominee, uh, he's going to, you know, terrible things will happen. Yeah, you know? or you'll inflame the Arab street if you dare to go into Iraq Good example. or Afghanistan. Good example. And, and uh, of course, one of my favorites, I think, is completely apropos. Well, he'll, he'll press the nuclear button, right? Yeah. There you go. I mean, yeah. what could be more skies falling than that, right? right. You know, nuclear winter. You know, the, uh, there's a movie called The Road a few years ago about right. what a post-apocalyptic society are putting up commercials that look like yes. that. You or know? 20, the movie 2012, which said that... Uh, 
Oh, I don't know if it was 2012. Uh, no, the, the day after tomorrow. Yes. The, the, which uh, talked about the climate change, and and all of a sudden it happens like one day. You know, it's it's nice yeah. and dramatic, uh, I, I suppose for for movie purposes. Yeah, you you day, have to do that. Yeah. You have to do that. But uh, talk about the skies falling again, right? If we don't advance these extremely onerous regulatory um, uh, positions, uh, the, the earth will just blow up. Yeah. Okay, so th- th- talk about fear yeah. tactics. And I, I just want to throw in this one because I think it, it furthers the argument in a very clear way. Uh, when I got my first job, I got health insurance, and then I encountered something called the HMO versus the PPO. Right. And not wanting to spend more money, I signed up for the HMO. And I realized, oh, I, these, these weird words, network, plan, list of approved doctors. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then I find out, well, before 1970-something or 80 with, with Ted Kennedy, this didn't exist. And the reason all the problems with the HMO happened is one of the things that led to Obamacare. Right. Because you could sell it politically to people that, you know, you're not, grandma's not going to get her medicine because it's a dumb insurance company. Or exactly. Something. So they never, in the collective, uh, you know, mindset of people, let, let them remember what led to the disaster for which they're arguing for the new disaster aversion measure today, right. which will lead, like Obamacare, to further insurance company disaster. And well, that's just one little example of it. Right. Well, and look, whenever government gets involved, it's, it's always a disaster. Uh, as, as one woman said, I think she was the narrator in one of the latest uh, Prager University, Prager U videos, she said it so well in a speech recently. Um, she said, how can it be that the problem is the solution, right? <laughs> I mean, it reminds me of a, it reminds me of a great uh, Simpson episode where the, the, the town of Springfield, where the Simpsons is located, they decide to, to uh, prohibit all alcohol, right? It, it kind of, they go through their own respective prohibition, and then they discover that they, because the town charter supposedly prohibits alcohol, and then there's all sorts of uh, things that happen as a result of that. And, of course, there's an underground alcohol you know, market and, uh, and it, all these speakeasies and everything. It's very funny. And then at the very end, they finally realize, okay, this is not working out. And they change the, the rules once again. And everyone celebrates with beer. And, and, so, and you see Homer on top of a card uh, during the parade. And he, say, he lifts up the beer can and he goes, alcohol, the problem, uh, sorry, the, the cause and the solution to all of life's problems. <laughs> so, anyway, that's the way it is with with uh, so much of liberal policies. We should have a theme just on that. I think the notion that <laughs> that all the problems can be fixed by just amplifying the problem, right? The cause and the solution to all of life's problems. Yeah, and and the brilliant thing from liberal political theory, if you think of what they really want, is it's true because. They don't care about the disastrous effects of society as long as there's a big government bureaucracy of which they can feed like troughs from, like pigs. Right. So if you have um, gun control and it causes more crime, well, we can hire more police, have more police unions, have more jails, have more clamped down schools, all this cascading stuff from that disaster. But the the whole point of what we're talking about is institutional memory. Yes. Right? That they – that like the – the snail, we're like the snail that kind of remembers it, and we understand, you know, why, for example, that it was the Democratic Party that was the party of racism, the party of the KKK, the party that fought civil rights, and so on. We were always the party. In fact, we were the initial party that fought slavery. We were the, we were the party for, that fought for freedom for not just blacks, but for every minority. We're the, we're the ones that believed in the individual. The very thing that the Democrats have co-opted from us 
in the past uh, two decades, three decades in particular, right? They, they now, you know, have co-opted that. And it's, it's so dastardly. That's the, the amazing thing. It's as if the, well, it's too, it's too hard to make any reference to the Nazis, but it's like the communists claiming that they are for capitalism, right? It's, you know, it's, it's so disingenuous. Or, having having, yes. having uh, been so destructive in the communist world, having bashed capitalism so much, having failed and, and engaged in the gulags and everything else, now they claim that they're, they're for the individual rights? I don't think so, and I'm not going to let them get away with it. And that same thing is true uh, with the Democratic Party. This is why I love the movie Hillary's America so much. It's even better than the previous movie by Dinesh D'Souza, which was, I think, 2016. 2016, Obama's America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it, it focused so much on the history, and I love history. And the one thing I, I you know, it, it, this all kind of dovetails so nicely with what we're talking about. We know that the millennials, for example, those who were kind of born in the 80s and 90s, that they know nothing when it comes to history. They have no idea. So for them... You know, imagine from the perspective, if you've never been taught any history, and it's hard to do that because it's so ingrained in us. You know, George Washington, the first president, uh, 1776, the Bill of you know, um, uh, Independence, and 1789, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and, and the whole notion that our rights come from God and, and that these are inalienable rights, and all these kind of words and thoughts that you and I have imbibed and, and are part of our DNA. But imagine for a moment, that you didn't have any of that. All you know is what you've been taught by your teachers. Is yeah, that the Howard Zinn version of the history. Howard Zinn, which is basically that America, well, America it, equals kind of, bad. Right. That's, America showed up yeah. somehow and we're bad. That's it. And we have slavery in our past. And uh, so, you know, you could, you could look at everything that America has accomplished with a jaundiced eye. Okay. That's, that's the approach that the Howard Zinns of the world and this negative approach toward America's. But even worse than that, in a sense, is that they've, if you were to only understand America, or for that matter, your own civilization, as what you see right here and now, then you would have no perspective on reality, would you? You would have no idea of the history. And that's, that's the way it is. That's the way the Democrats want you to understand it. And that's why, you know, it's, the, it's not the snail, it's the man. He, he just simply wants you to see the reality as it is right now. Because when that snail says, hey, what, what the heck was that about, right? The man, of course, presumably, you know, it's not part of the punchline, but the man would, would say, who are you? What do you want from me? No, it's an even more apropos analogy. The man will respond with, oh, those scandals are all old news. Because <laughs> your analogy of that joke is so brilliant in this regard. You didn't mention it, but it, it fits. The, the, the snail knocking on the door and asking for water the first time is essentially an election day. Being thrown across the street is the snail's party losing. He's out of power. The climb back to the door is the cycle between elections. So when the, nail, the snail knocks on the door again and the guy says, what's that about? Mm -hmm. He's acting at the next election like the party in power acting oblivious to its own sins. Yeah, totally oblivious. And saying, what? you don't have any gripes here. Well, they're oblivious. But because the snail has been suffering with those elect the results, the consequences of the election, as Obama once said it. Right. Elections have consecuences, John, speaking to McCain at yeah. that Obamacare yeah. summit in 2009. Uh, 
So the snail did not have a way to redress grievances, if you will, to that next knock on the door in between that time frame, whether it was two years, four years, six years, or 30 years. Right. But he that's, came back, remembering all the time what the grievance was. That's the point. And by the way, uh, just to clarify, uh, it was Obama said to McCain, what he said is, uh, there was an election, John, and uh, I won. Okay, right. as if to put him in, in his place. It was so petty and so childish. Right, but, but that's the next th- line was elections have consequences, uh, which was even worse. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> you know? Anyway, so uh, what we're kind of bringing all about and bringing to the fore is the fact that they don't have, they don't want, they don't have institutional memory, at least not the the general population. The leaders of uh, the, the elites of the of the group, they know better. They know exactly what happened in the '90s. Uh, Hillary Clinton knows exactly what happened. Uh, the uh, the Ted Kennedys know exactly what happened and what their in- intentions were. Of course, Ted Kennedy's passed on, but he, w- while he was alive, he knew exactly what, what they were doing. He knew how they pivoted their, their entire party. But by and large, most people just don't have any savvy. They've been told that history is something that uh, you don't need to bother with. Okay? Right. You, the, the facts, of course, don't matter. But very importantly, history doesn't matter. History is irrelevant to them. What have you done for me lately is the only thing that's matters. And what's so fascinating is it's not even the dim recesses of history like 1776, you know, no one's looking around saying, this economy sucks. Uh, our, our approach to terrorism sucks. Um, our, our whole race relation issue sucks. It's a, a disaster. Obamacare and the whole, the whole enterprise of somehow nationalizing and socializing medicine, that sucks too. And I, and I say the word sucks in a kind of colloquial sense. I don't, I don't really use that word very often. I'm simply saying, and I put that in air quotes, it's just horrific. It's it's sucking the whole country down. That's the point. And and but they don't even bother with that. That history is also irrelevant. And they talk about it as though, as if as though the the the, the president in charge is not a Democrat himself. There's no relevance yeah. of the past eight years. That's the fascinating thing about it. And there needs to be relevance. History. There's a reason why we teach history. It's not just because it's cool stuff. The the reason why we teach history is so that we can learn from it. But but before you say, well, wait a minute, um, you know that there's there's got to be some sort of history to it. You're right, there is. They know only the, the the cherry picking of history that they that they choose, which is that America had slaves, the founding fathers had slaves, and that's all they need to know. Okay, that's it. Oh, and by the way, it was we Democrats who advanced civil rights, you know, against the wishes of the Republicans. Those those racists, and there was the what was it? Uh, the, the Southern strategy um, to uh, to defeat, you know, use racism to w- to win the 1972 election. Those things that they will trot out, no problem at all. But it's as if they uh, they think that the uh, t- today's young people, especially the millennials, they only know the economy as it is right now, which some people would call the new normal. But to say the new normal means that there wasn't an, an old normal <laughs> right. as well, right? So they don't know anything A other than normal. yeah. <laughs> To them, the economy is as it is right now. Part-time jobs, and you work at McDonald's, you flip burgers, uh, whatever it might be, and, and that's your that's your lot in life, and uh, that's the way that things work. 
And likewise with healthcare, uh, the way that healthcare is right now, as bad as it is, well, that's that's the way healthcare is, and we can improve it and such like that. But my golly, there was no time before this. Same thing with race relations. <clears throat> um, you know, th- th- cops were always uh, vicious and racist, and so therefore uh, we need to fight against the cops who are racist and, and vicious. There was never a time before where people actually respected cops. For example, there was never a time where the media didn't you know pile on to the cops. Right, so these this is the way they view society. This is this is that they've landed in the movie and they decided this is what the movie is about. Okay, never mind that you know it's as if you only <clears throat> watch The Empire Strikes Back when um, it, you know in the famous scene where they blow up a whole planet and they say, well, looks like the Empire is the uh, in charge now and that's the way it's always going to be and it always has been. No, you, you don't realize that in fact the Empire. Is the, re- is the rebellion. It's the evil dictatorship that has taken over the republic, right? You, you, need, you would need to know that in history. And the funny thing is we as a viewer, these millennials who, who view the Star Wars movies and the, and the franchise, they're too young to remember the initial Star Wars. But by, to, to have seen the initial Star Wars when it came out in 77, I think. But they know it. They know it deeply. They know all the history. Right? It's interesting. They know more of the history of Star Wars than they know of the history of America. How do you like that? Well, actually... And, and, and they know everything in context. So when something happens in uh, Return of the Jedi, or for that matter, uh, episode uh, number, uh, the most recent one, number seven, they understand its references to the old days and how there was a republic and how... Um, uh, the em- Emperor Palpatine took over and how he took over like, a, like, like the Hitlerian dictator that he was. This they understand, but they don't understand anything close to that when it comes to American history and its relationship to European history or world history for that matter. Yeah, and you, you're absolutely right. And, uh, but, but even the liberals have ruined Star Wars in this regard. Because if you've noticed... The original Star Wars that we saw, not going on to the whole nerd subject of this, was redone. And you can't see the original Star Wars today. So there's parts of the Star Wars history that they know that have been reinvented. Because even liberals <coughs> reinvent that history, too. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's, so it's even more real than you even know. Yeah. Because, yes, they know what they've been seen, they've been shown, and they know it well, which indicates they have the same mental acuity and abilities we had when we grew up. Hmm. But they've also been fed revisionist history at the same time. That's interesting. Well, I, I do know that they redigitized a lot of the, the movie, the original one, when they, when, when they now uh, show it in DVD and such like that. But other than just inserting... Um, no, no, well, no. Hey, I'm asking you a question. Okay. Uh, yes. Other than inserting just animals and such like, uh, like that, just to make it look more cool, are you saying that they took out certain scenes or took out certain dialogue or infused certain dialogue? It's worse. They added things that weren't there. And there's one thing in particular that is so important. Uh, it's Han Solo shooting first. Do you remember the scene where Greedo comes to him and says, I found you, I'm going to take you to Jabba the Hutt? Yes. And then Han Solo, it reveals everything about his brilliant character. He fires a Greedo under the table and blows him away right. before he can be taken. Right. Lucas 
<coughs> because of his anti-gun stances, didn't want Han Solo shooting first. He wanted him only responding to, if you will, bullying. So in the in the revisioned way he redid it is now Greedo shoots at him at point blank range and misses right. before Han returns fire. Right. Uh, now yeah. this might seem like a nothing burger, but in the context of of the revisionist history and year zero and I understand all that stuff we talk about, yeah. it changes everything yeah. because kids are going to grow up not really knowing what really happened. Well, I, I, I do agree with that. And it's interesting you mentioned the year zero notion and year zero thinking. We had a podcast on this so many years ago now, I think three or three years ago or so. And, and that was in relation to uh, Cambodia with Pol Pot, where they wanted to reset history altogether. And and the beginning of his reign was the year zero, and everything before it, well, it just didn't exist. That's right. All <coughs> knowledge in year zero right. would start from that point on, regardless of all the things discovered in human beings. Right. The wheel and this is, this, this is consistent with every ism, uh, almost every is, ism uh, that's, uh, that's out there, whether it's fascism or totalitarianism or communism or, uh, for that matter, egalitarianism or environmentalism. It, it's hard to imagine a... Uh, a governance uh, ideology that's not free, that's not a democratic uh, version of, of, of uh, a governance that is actually effective in keeping history, that, that it appreciates history. There's a difference between democracy and those, those worlds in this way alone, which is that we love history, we are the snails, so to speak, and they love erasing history and conveniently ignoring it. And, and that's what the man is all about, right? All right, don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets. Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on time like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. So, you know, I love this topic that we talked about, how, how it's the big picture always, and they just want you to forget about the big picture. That's always the case. Now, <clears throat> we, we've talked about the big picture before, and one of those things that we talked about in the context of it is this election. Now, you know we like to focus on timeless topics, things that will resonate, and I think to some extent this will still resonate in the future. We don't know who's going to win on November 8th uh, as we... Uh, sit and record here today. Uh, I'm hoping for a Trump win. You're hoping for a Trump win. As much as you despise the guy, I understand. But Hillary certainly is far worse <clears throat> in many different, different respects. And I, I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know, but I want to make some predictions nonetheless. And 
what we've been talking about in terms of ignoring history, I think applies to this election too. Hillary wants us to ignore history. She wants us to forget the facts of the Obama presidency. She wants us to forget any history before then as well as in terms of how she's done nothing for the past 30 plus years in politics. How she wants us to forget Benghazi. She wants us to forget the 33,000 emails that she deleted. She wants us to forget about the Clinton Foundation and all the pay for play issues that they came into play. I don't blame her. Yeah, let alone Lewinsky, Flowers, for Jones, sure. Travelgate, <laughs> Travelgate, yeah. Water, White Water Gate. <clears throat> you know, right. every gate. She she wants us to forget. I don't like. I said I don't blame her. Why would she want us to remember these things? But uh, you know, it, it's like in court, you can't ignore certain things. You you hope to to tell the judge, hey judge, look at this. You see you see what I'm I'm talking about here. And, and forgetting, of course, the main argument is, I don't care how good you think your case is, counsel, but you've got a statute of limitations problem. You, you can't move forward with this case. So bye-bye. And, but in the meantime, of course, the guy is trying to ignore the, the big problem, which is, in my example, statute of limitations, or something else, like the contract wasn't in writing, right? And therefore, that there is, that you can't enforce it the way you think you can enforce it. All those good things. Or that okay. there's absolutely no evidence <laughs> right. Well, but but they 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 prompt yeah. they prop up the one bit of evidence that they do have. Yeah. Or worse yet, they they attack the attorney and say, "Boy, that attorney was sure mean to me." You know, look at this letter that he wrote me, and this is the kind of person I'm dealing with, Your, Your Honor. Okay, but that's not relevant to the facts, counsel. Right. So I see this time time again. And by the way, I'm an arbitrator myself, which is like a judge in in a sense where I can preside over certain kinds of issues. Um, I, I don't have the power that the judges have to, to issue decrees and injunctions and things like that. But I, I do have the power to make decisions as to money. And I know that when people are arguing in front of me, in fact, I have to make a decision. Uh, I'm, I'm going to finalize an arbitration decision later on today. I, I know that uh, people are ignoring certain things or they want me to ignore certain things. And, and I'm no fool. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm a bright attorney. I'm probably not the brightest attorney in the world, but I think I'm good enough. But I, I think that most of the time when these people try to uh, glom over certain issues, uh, you don't have to be brilliant to know that they're, they, they're hoping you, that you ignore something. Why do I bring this up? It's because it dovetails very nicely into our, our story about ignoring history and wanting people to ignore history. I think that the Clinton administration really thinks that the voter, the average voter, is a fool. And, and you know, to some extent, a, a lot of them are. But not, not as, the question is, how many? And... And, and there are fools and there are fools, right? There's some that are so foolish that they'll just listen to their undecided voters and it, they'll make a decision at the last second based upon how nicely Hillary Clinton um, wore her dress or how nasty Donald Trump looked when he made a certain speech, okay? That's, that, that's, that's truly foolish, right? There's truly nothing to it. But it does happen. And there are other fools that know something, right? They, they know the, the, the point that we made before, which is, yeah, you're, you're, you're propping up all these things, that, and you're, you're saying all this great talk, Hillary, but what have you done in the past 30 years? Why do you think that we think that you're going to do anything in the next four or eight years? Why? Why would it be different than what you do? I mean, I think these are logical questions that even a fool would ask, right? So I think we've got that, in a sense, on our side. The question is, how foolish are the fools? Okay, what, what degree, what percentage of 
true idiots do we have out there versus ordinary fools that can see at least some things? Okay. All right. That's about the, in, the independence, of course. And <laughs> Ari likes this one, I guess. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what, what, am I right? Yes. Oh, okay. please ask that question on the radio. What percentage are real fools? What part are absolute? <laughs> Just your ordinary fools. Ordinary fools versus <laughs> complete morons. Right. I mean, I guess. Please tell me, America. There, there's, you know, there's different kind, there's different kinds of drunk, right? Right. <laughs> there's, you know, uh, you know, passed out on on the floor, drunk and vomiting on, you know, and praying in front of the the porcelain god, drunk. And there's those that are just kind of buzzed. And just don't really know what, what's going on. And, and they're the ones who say, wait, what? <laughs> right? But they're still in conversation with you. <laughs> so, you know, what part of the electorate? Oh, we're so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, generally well, speaking. I, like I keep telling you, buy guns and build a bomb shelter in your backyard now. <laughs> we're screwed. All right, all right. So let, now it's the time to make some predictions. And again, I, I think these predictions merely speak to the issues of the day. Um, look, there's there's a couple of interesting factors going on. We are now, uh, what is it, October 28, I think. So 10 days away from the election, 11 days away from the election. And uh, certainly something can come out, some horrible thing about Trump, some horrible thing about uh, Hillary Clinton that's worse than what's already going on about her. Um, but good for today as we speak. Uh, this is after the famous video clip, uh, the, the Billy Bush video clip uh, from Access Hollywood, where um, uh, Trump was caught on, on videotape saying some pretty salacious things about women and how he likes to grab them and, you know, certain areas of their bodies and such like that. It was very, it was locker room talk to the extreme, okay? Uh, and it had an effect, but perhaps not as much of an effect. And I told you before, and I think I mentioned on this podcast, and I certainly mentioned it on my Sunday show, I didn't think this was a very good movie, a move from a timing point of view on the Hillary campaign. They, they decided to release it slightly more than a month before the election, which they thought there was an October surprise, and maybe it was. But it was a bad idea at that point. The timing was, was terrible. They did it because they were very concerned about the WikiLeaks emails coming out. They did it because they wanted, it was also just before the second debate, and they wanted to control the debate, the topic of the debate, so that it wouldn't be about WikiLeaks. So some brilliant genius decided, hey, let's, let's release it now, because that will create the momentum that will, that will cover the whole topic of the conversation at the debate. And uh, WikiLeaks, well, yes, it'll still keep pouring in, but it won't be part of the debate. And uh, it, did not, it did not work the way that she wanted it to work. Uh, we talked about this before. Trump successfully moved away from that. He said he was sorry. It was very ill-advised, and he's, he feels so stupid about it. Having said that, uh, it was 11 years ago. And having said that, by the way, Bill Clinton is a rapist. <laughs> okay, more or less in those words, more or less. So now we're back to kind of where we were before that videotape. I don't think that the videotape ha now has the impact that she wishes it it had. It lost its steam. And so that, that was a, a very bad miscalculation. Now, having said that, all she has to rely on is polls, polls, and polls. But what I'm fascinated about is how, how much money Hillary Clinton is spending on this campaign, how much she has on the ground in each of the states. And yet, it's really a, you know, an even race at this point. Who knows what's, what's going to happen? But more or less, you know, on, on this day, it's two points ahead. He's point, two points ahead. Who knows? 
Okay, it's, it's really very interesting. Now, one thing we want to make a prediction about, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to predict a, a Trump win, okay, by a slight margin, maybe 1%, maybe 2%, but I'm, I'm predicting that as a win. Why? For a variety of factors. One is, and we've mentioned some in the past, and there are some that are new. The one we mentioned in the past is the enthusiasm factor. I've always pushed this. I, I think that the enthusiasm for Donald Trump is far greater than anything I've ever seen in any, any presidential election. He can still squander that enthusiasm, well, of course. Well, it's greater than the Obama 2008 no, It is. It actually is. In terms of the numbers and the social media that's, that's in play right now, it's, it's greater. Okay? Now, in terms of the media attention and all that stuff, of course, they fell in love with uh, Obama and everything else. But the actual uh, man on the street, woman on the street um, enthusiasm for uh, an outsider, it, it's greater than it was for, for, for Obama. And, and it's not just me thinking this, by the way. There are numbers to back this up in terms of social media plays and how Twitter is active and how Facebook is active. There's even an artificial intelligence uh, organization that it apparently uh, brings in millions of different uh, data points to, to apply in order to predict a win, and, and they're predicting uh, a Trump win for exactly this reason, the enthusiasm factor. Hillary Clinton is not an enthusiastic person. There have been no issues that she's really been speaking about other than to say that Trump is a nasty guy, that Trump uh, hates women and such, but that she's not advancing any new ideas, right? Okay. So take that into account. Uh, then you also take into account a very important factor, and this is new. The fact that he won uh, pretty handily in the primaries. He got more votes than any other Republican candidate in, in the history of the Republican uh, uh, Party. That's very significant. Now, you can say, of course, there have been more people uh, who have been voting than ever before. But that's true. But you still, even, even adjusting for that, he's got more than ever before. So it's pretty impressive. It, it's unquestioning that he won. Whereas with the Hillary campaign... Uh, the Bernie Sanders effect was so powerful. He was, I mean, the, the fix was in against him. We now know uh, through the superdelegates issue, of course, and then, of course, through Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was also uh, fixing to, to, to oust him as well. The whole game was, was rigged against him. He might very well have won the nomination had it been a very fair play, but it wasn't a very fair. We, we the Republicans, don't have a superdelegate issue. Uh, maybe that's to our detriment. Um, we would have had Ted Cruz uh, instead. But from a purely Democratic point of view, um, we're more Democratic. Okay, the, the Democrats themselves uh, played this game, and it's really quite horrifying what they've done. You mean so, they should be called the undemocratic? Yes, oh, I basically. like that. The uncool. <laughs> uh, at least the uncool it tastes good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway. Uh, so, so. So the, your point is, these disaffected Bernie voters are not going to go to the polls and vote for Hillary just because she's their girl on their party. Right. These are not party people. That's right. I think that's so That's so true. And it's funny you mentioned that. I was having this conversation with, I think, a mutual friend about this stuff yesterday. And it actually speaks very well for the future of the country in that many of the Democrats in, like, West L.A., near where we are, are idealistic people. They're not dishonest. They, you know, we constantly say on this, we quote Evan Say It's Book and say, wouldn't it be nice if they preached what they practice. Right. You know, live the conservative values that they actually do right. rather than live the value 
the liberal values that come out of their mouth. Point is, many of these people are the Bernie voters who don't like Hillary Clinton corruption, and they do remember Lewinsky and Whitewater. And right. It's not all. Young, it's not all just young voters. That's yeah. absolutely right. And while many of them don't want to look at the Benghazi or the email scandals, there's a taint. <laughs> no pun intended, but yes, pun yeah, intended. Of course. The Clintons have a steamy, musky, disgusting taint to them of just sleaze yeah. that even these people could see that turned them off. And the reason they liked Obama so much is, regardless of what he turned out to be, in 2008 and 2012, he at least had this veneer of outsiderness. Yeah, cleanliness, and, 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 and he was pure. That yeah. There was a, that sense. And then, of course, the black uh, fact and uh, the fact that he's black and, and gave people the opportunity to vote for uh, the first black president, which was very exciting. There's no doubt about it. But um, but that doesn't mean that we should have voted for this particular black candidate. Yeah, but he didn't seem like Clinton to be uh, unfaithful to his wife. You know, his wife is this yeah, fantastic, no. stylish woman in their eyes. The, the Clinton and campaign is an unseemly campaign. Yes. When, when, when people use the first adjectives, it's dishonest and such and, uh, you know, Cor- corrupt and questionable, skeptical. These these are words that apply to her, uh, power hungry even, and sleazy and unseemly. Th- these are all appropriate adjectives when when talking about the campaign. But th- there's more going on as well. We talked about the social media effect, um, but the the other powerful effect is the fact that there's been two terms of a, of a Democrat in the House. Uh, in the White House, and that alone is a very powerful. How do we? How do we say a headwind against Hillary Clinton? Yeah, in normal cycles, no matter how good or how terrible such and such two-term president has been, after eight years, the country usually just picks the other soda. Right. They go from Coke to Pepsi, and we've had arguments over the years, and I don't mean with each other, but made the argument, put forth the argument that. Part of the problem with America is that both parties essentially form a single establishment. And so even though the voters pick Coke versus Pepsi, it's still sugar water with caramel coloring and fizz. I like that. You yeah. Know? yeah, that's true. And uh, but that's but the impression. Trump, there's yeah. a chance or at least there's the strong perception that uh, this time we're going to get orange juice. <laughs> right. Well, it's cer- he's certainly the outsider. There's no issue about that. And it's the year of the outsider. And, uh, you know, he really kind of uh, went through with very important issues. He did, he's the only one speaking about the issues. He's speaking about immigration. He's speaking about uh, ISIS and terrorism, generally speaking, and, of course, about regulations and high taxes. All of these things are very powerful issues to, to discuss. And, uh, you know, the, in the meantime, uh, the other candidate, Hillary Clinton, is not talking about those issues at all. She's just talking about a great day when, when she will become the president. And she understands women. Thank you very much. That's, that's about it. Yeah. And, how, and how bad a man who... Honestly, loves women, if anything, just a little too much, hates women. Right. Because the one thing, you know, Donald Trump might not have the most, uh, let's just say, dexterous ability with women. He's not suave, shall we say. He might not be Cary Grant, you know, from 1965 with women, uh, you know, as far as being the, the smooth gentleman or something. But... He obviously really, 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 really loves women, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, look, they, they have all sorts of quips and, you know, sleaze factor of things to point at him. And, and look, it, it certainly plays to, to a lot of people, but it shouldn't play as the only issue. It's something that I, I understand should play to some extent. What percentage uh, should it, that factor into your, um, your calculation as to who to vote for? I don't know, 5%, 10%? Depends on who you are. For me, it... it 
it plays in maybe uh, 5%. I'm disappointed in Trump speaking the way he did. Uh, I do think it's a little sleazy. I think he needs to, you know, rein it in, as it were. But again, that was 11 years ago, and he was being very cheeky, and he thought he was having a private conversation. And, uh, you know, people say things in private that they don't, they would never say in public. And by the way, uh, the person who knows that the best is Hillary Clinton herself, who talks about a public persona versus a private persona. And erased his lost, deceived 30,000 documents that are subject to public scrutiny. Right. Because she's a a high-ranking public official. Right. (laughs) So talk about private Uh, versus public. Yeah. Yeah. And also, the reality, and I think this actually bodes well for you, is that Mm -hmm. your prediction, uh, Trump will be victorious, is that America, there's that great thing, American voters do the right thing after exhausting all other options. Yes. And when you're facing a world Mm, in which Iran, some of the most evil people in the history of history and the world are on the precipice of possessing the most awesome and dangerous weapons the world has ever produced. When North Korea is out of control and not reined in, when evil is spreading and atrocity is spreading and and all these terrible things are happening around the globe that because of the immigration and and, um, border issues is affecting daily life and turning Americans into crime victims and destroying our economy, people are starting more than they have in many years to acknowledge that perhaps thinking in terms of Iran being armed with a nuclear weapon is more important than the way a buffoonish man spoke about women yeah. in a yeah. private conversation to a TV host. I think that at some point in the, in the voting booth for so many people, they will simply say, look, I just, you know, as much as I don't like Donald Trump and I think he's brash and, you know, not the right guy for whatever reason, whether it's the Access Hollywood tape or otherwise— I, that he's not a real Republican, whatever it might be. I, I get that, and I respect that. They may very well say, but I just can't vote for Clinton. I just can't do it. And so I, I predict that among the, part of the reason why Trump will succeed is that people will actually not vote at all for either of them. That they'll vote for their other <clears throat> respective states' propositions uh, and, and other candidates for Senate and Congress and so on, but they will not vote for Clinton. They just they won't be able to do it. Like, why should I... Mark that ballot for Clinton. I just, I, I see that happening. Yeah, and you think that'll be a greater percentage of Democrats than Republicans for sure. voting for Trump? And you think the enthusiasm factor, as you brought up before, is right. plays directly to that point, which is very, very spot on analysis. Yeah, yeah. I, I know so many people, yeah. and I and I wish there were more people that voted for uh, Romney in 2012 who were Democrats. And they and, and after the four years of Obama, they said, I'm done. I voted for him in 08. I'm done. And literally, quote, unquote, I am done with him because they realized that he was a, a, a feckless, ineffective leader. And uh, they just, you know, they understood that this is just not working. And now they had another four years, unfortunately. And I think the time has come for people to say, I'm, I'm done with this whole party. Now, here's the other thing that seems to play in Clinton's favor. And it's something that I can't really get around. Um, I mean, I, I want to maybe understand from you. Um, his popularity... Don't blame me. <laughs> no, no, I, maybe you can help me and, yes. and kind of assuage me on this. His popularity, I'm, and I'm only talking about Obama, um, his popularity is at 51 52%. And, you know, this is... Are you asking why? What happened? Yeah, and, yeah and why is that? Because people are paying attention to... 
Clinton and Trump, and they're ignoring the damage Obama's doing every day. Oh, I see. Understand? Right. Okay, I like that. Uh, I also heard a very interesting line of questioning or thinking from someone I ran to, and I, I remarked to them a, a response to it, which I think opened their eyes to it. And uh, let me explain. It'll be very short. They basically said, "I can't believe Obama's playing golf again." He's a good conservative like us, and I said, "Well, that's great." He says. But, but he spent $3.1 million on a golf trip to, to play golf with. And I know our listeners, after hearing me say, that's great, are going, huh? Uh, he spent $3.1 million to play golf. I said, that is fantastic. I wish that's all he ever did. Right. And, and I, then I put the cap on and said, if all this idiot did was play golf for the last eight years and spend huge amounts of taxpayer money playing golf, the country would be in wonderful shape right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. Obama does his damage when he doesn't <clears throat> play golf. And yeah. the fact that so many conservatives bring up the golf issue as the first thing that crossed their mind or the stupid vacation issue Let them do undermines it. Yeah. Iranian <clears throat> nuclear weapons, right. which is the number one issue in my mind. Right. And the human suffering of those being massacred by ISIS and the genocides of certain groups of people because the Democrats are racists who single out certain people for destruction around the world, Christians in the Middle East, and elevate Muslims in the Middle East. Right. For right or for wrong, Muslims should be protected, whatever. Well, the, 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 numbers, the numbers back you up. Yeah, but, but Christians shouldn't, shouldn't be slaughtered because they're Christian. That's the kind of stuff that uh, the Holocaust in its uh, aftermath developed a saying, I think it's, oh, is it never again? Right. About? Well, so, so the point is when so many on our side focus on the non-issues – it only adds more attention to Clinton, Trump, and ignores Obama. And the way Democrats work, and I'll just finish it real fast, is when you're not paying attention to them, their numbers rise. Right. As as Rush Limbaugh pointed out, whenever uh, Hillary Clinton gave a speech, wrote a book, released a book, went on a book tour, said anything, show up on TV, her numbers plummeted. Right. When she's disappeared, they right. go up, and Obama's benefiting from that. Well, here, here's something. You're right. He's benefiting from that. Uh, but to Trump, the question is whether or not his relative popularity – the benefit that you're just talking about, whether that will inure to the benefit of Hillary Clinton in this election. I, I, I wonder. Uh, I don't think it's going to hurt her, but I don't know it's gonna, if it's going to benefit her. At the end of the day, it's really about her. And, and that, that much I do like about this campaign because they've been focusing on her, 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 and also her effectiveness. And, and, Ob and Trump said it very well. He said, what have you, uh, what have you done? And it's a, it's a great question. And then I wish he'd uh, announced this a little bit more aggressively because he said it on the on the trail a couple of times, but I wish he said it in his third debate in his conclusion. He would if he just said, "What have you got to lose?" That would have been almost as effective to us to vote for him to, to the to the audience. Yeah, what have you got to lose? Right. You can only do it better with me, and that would have been as effective or close to being as effective as Ronald Reagan's famous line: uh, "You just have to ask yourself, am I better off than I was four years ago?" Are you better off, right? Yes. And and that was a fantastic line that changed the election, and naturally, and and with the landslide, no less. And Donald Trump could have done that. He's still saying that, but I wish he had said it in the debate itself. That's it would have been a great move. Now, <clears throat> here's something that is very interesting. We are we are in a time where there's been very little in the way of terrorist activity. There's been no major. Orlando, for example, or San Bernardino, 
Um, of or, course, the terrorists don't want to give the thing right. to the Republicans. Well, that's, that's my point. <laughs> they're, they're not stupid. Of course. They're, they're timing it. They know exactly what the effect mm-hmm. of a terrorist attack would do on this election. It would give Donald Trump the election or at least right. you know, propel him closer toward the election, toward a yeah, win. Yeah, they, did, they didn't hit September 11th when <clears throat> Clinton was still president. No. They wouldn't have done it if Gore was president. They did it when Bush was president. Right. <clears throat> okay? They know. Well— they're, they're, no, I, I disagree with that. I think they would do if Gore's president because Gore would be far far weaker, and they would do it for purposes of ransoming and everything else. Look, Obama, I mean, all these terrorist activity matters have happened much more aggressively, much more frequently during Obama's uh, tenure. So yeah, but not close to the election. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, but that's what I'm pointing out is. Um, if there is, God forbid, a terrorist attack like this, then they know very well that it would only help Trump. Yes. So, but Trump is is smart, and he's saying we have terrorist activity. This is this is happening. We need to deal with this. We've got a Syrian, sorry, an influx of Syrian uh, refugees that we really have to be very careful with. Um, I, I do like. I want to say parenthetically, and then move back to our main point, which is predicting um, the election. Uh, your point is a good point about when the Christians are being slaughtered and, and there's a genocide going on when it comes to the Christians in the Middle East, uh, Obama is relatively silent about that. In fact, I think he is totally silent about uh, that. He's mute. <clears throat> he's mute, yeah. yeah. The mute button's on. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm sure if he were to ask, do you, do you like Christians being slaughtered, he would say, oh, no, no, tisk, tisk, tisk. You know, he would right. say, don't do that again, right? right. <laughs> From the We're Python. a religion of peace. Right. Now, Brian, <laughs> write it a hundred times. Don't <laughs> do it again. Right. All right, so that, that's what he would say and then move on to the next question. But, of course, when... In, in Bosnia-Herzegovina, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. You did. Okay, good. Yeah. In, in that area, when, when uh, tragically Muslims were being uh, targeted and singled out for, for slaughter by the Serbs, well, uh, Bill Clinton was all over it. We engaged in war in the process to, to defend them and to protect them. But, but not, and exactly the same thing would happen if there was a, a genocide of Muslims going on in, uh, in the Middle East somewhere else. It's not a real genocide of Muslims. You can say, oh, ISIS is killing Muslims too. That's not the same thing. When they're being targeted specifically and only because they're Muslims, that's when we get all excited and energized and we, we evoke the Holocaust and never again and such like that. But when it's Christians, no big whoop. And frankly, if it's Jews, it's no big whoop, right? So that, that's, that's the world we're living in. Okay, going back to the prediction game. <clears throat> I do think it's Trump. Uh, there, there are many factors involved here, um, but good for today. Trump is going to win. Here's one last thing I'll say that doesn't jibe with a Hillary win. And it's a very important one, and very few people are talking about this. The fact is that Trump is very, uh, uh, he's winning in Ohio, if not tied, okay? He's winning in Florida, if not tied, He's winning in Iowa. Uh, he's doing very well in North Carolina. And Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania. These, it, it doesn't make sense to me that he would do so well in those states and then be losing Utah, losing Texas, and, 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 and that Clinton could be so complacent about her status in the, in the national polls. Something doesn't jibe. If, if he were doing so poorly in Utah, you would expect him to be being trounced in Ohio and Florida. If he were doing so uh, poorly in Texas, you would expect him to be trounced in Pennsylvania. But it's not happening. 
The exact opposite is happening. Something funny is going on. There's, uh, there's a, uh, a reconfiguring of, of the polls. I don't know. Well, since we're doing predictions, can I tell you what I think is happening? Yeah, please. Is I think he's losing Utah. I think he actually is. Okay. Because Utah is comprised of a very specific conservative voting block. But uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, these uh, blue-collar-ish states, not really blue-collar anymore because most of the industries have been destroyed, thank you, Barack Obama, are comprised by many, many, many <coughs> or just Obama voters mm-hmm. who were the Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. types who are going to vote for Trump. Okay. So while Trump might be losing some conservatives in certain states— Texas, because of the Cruz situation, because he really stepped in it with how he treated Cruz to his detriment strategically, for specifically for Texas. But he'll probably carry it because it's right. red enough. He'll lose Utah just because of that hybridized voting block, the, the Mormon uh, background and everything. But he'll pick up a whole bunch of blue states for every small red state he might not. Take. All right. That's that's interesting. So I think it, 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 it I, my point is both are true at the same time yeah. in the Venn diagram. Look, one of the things that we learned about the Brexit vote, I mean, you and I remember that the uh, the day before the Brexit vote, it looks like it was going to be trounced by five points. I mean, it was all the polling was against Brexit. And then sure enough, the next day, it's up by five points. It wins by a lot. And the, the polling doesn't pick up the enthusiasm. It doesn't pick up a lot of the issues. Polling has been very inaccurate of late. And I I don't know why that's the case, but all I know is there is a tremendous media push for Clinton. There is a tremendous effort to make it seem that her presidency is inevitable, her election is inevitable, and it it ain't so. Yeah, that the election happened in April, and we're just going through some motions now. That's right, that's right. Just waiting for inauguration. Yeah, the the coronation, for that matter. All right, uh, that's where we stand on it, and and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about it next week if there's any changes in it. But good for today, it's a Trump win by a, by a small margin, two percent. This is Brock Lurie signing off, saying uh, we'll see you next week.